Welcome to the last week of our study of the book of Joel. Now, I know it's a very short book, uh, but it is a very important one, a very powerful one. So the first two chapters of the book of Joel, uh, they dealt with this locust plague that has come through and really made a lot of observations about how that locust plague, it represents the day of the Lord and it represents judgment. Well, we're going to kind of continue on in that thought. See, where we left off the last bit of chapter 2 was talking about how the Lord's Spirit was going to be poured out on all flesh. We see that fulfilled in the New Testament. And now in chapter 3, what we're going to see is this is talking about kind of a future day of the Lord. A day whenever judgment is going to take place. Judgment of all the nations. In fact, that's what a large portion of this chapter is going to be about, is that judgment upon these different nations. We're going to see why those nations are being judged and kind of what that means. Then we're going to end the last few verses looking at what God has planned in the future for his people, specifically the people of Zion. So let's dive in together now. In verses 1 through 3, just laying the foundation of what we're going to be looking at in, in Joel 3, we read this. In those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel, because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine to drink. This is what we see. This is what judgment looks like. Now, you know, many times whenever we think about the judgment of God, whenever we think about, you know, the day of the Lord, we might think it's kind of a negative thing, or at least that's kind of how it's portrayed from people who, especially people who aren't even Christians, they look at that and they think God's judgment is a bad thing. Well, okay, we need to understand the purpose of God's judgment. Right here, what it is, is God is calling for justice. That's what this judgment is going to bring about. Whenever you look at what these nations are doing, you know, the, all these descriptions that are given, it's horrible things that they're doing to other people, to the people of the Lord specifically right here. And God says he's not going to have it. So here, now, uh, one thing about the focus is we see a lot of focus is Judah and Jerusalem. They're raised up and then all these other nations, they're, they're kind of, you know, really put down. Well, largely the reason for all of that is that Judah and Jerusalem, Israel, you know, they were supposed to be the chosen ones of God, the, the nation that God was going to lift up, and they were supposed to be a light for everybody else to follow. Sadly, it oftentimes didn't work out like that. And of course, we can read these things through a little bit different lens today, because in the New Testament times, it's expanded to not just one nation, but all these other nations as well. The gospel message is for all, but we can still read these these passages like this. And we can still learn so much about this judgment. This judgment is for justice. It's a call for justice. It's a call for things to be made right. Now, we also see in verse two that where this is going to take place is we see that all nations are gonna be come, coming to this location. Where's this location? The Valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, you know, you might try to, to turn into the, the pages of your Bible, you know, at the very, very end. And you might try to, to flip through those maps and figure out where is this valley. But, you know, what you'll actually end up finding is we don't specifically know where that valley is. In fact, what we see with this phrase is it might not necessarily be referring to a physical location at all. In fact, it probably isn't. It's probably a symbol especially when you understand something interesting about the term Jehoshaphat. The term Jehoshaphat, the word, it means the Lord judges. 
So quite literally, this is the valley of judgment. This is where God is going to pronounce this judgment. And he's going to put them on trial and he's going to demand justice. That's what he says because he, he talks about these bad things that they've done even in, in verse 3. But then he goes on even into greater details about some of these sins. Now, it still is very interesting in the book of Joel because there's no specific sins that are listed where we can say, okay, well, this happened during this time. We really see that the book of Joel, uh, it obviously took place within a certain time because you have a specific plague of locusts that was mentioned. Um, but we don't know really when that was because really there could have been several locust plagues that have come through the area uh, just you know every so often. And right here, there's no specific sin. Uh, while there might be some sins that are listed, it's not like specific to one time. That's what I mean by that. So we don't, we still don't know when the book of Joel was written, but we do know that this is talking about a time in the future when God said enough is enough and he's going to bring about judgment. Now, some more sins are going to be listed and some more judgment is going to be pronounced. Let's keep reading. Verses four through six now. Now what have you against me, Tyre and Sidon, and all you regions of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something I have done? It's the Lord speaking, okay? That, that's the one who's speaking right here. If you are paying me back, I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you have done. For you took my silver and my gold and carried off my finest treasures to your temples. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks that you might send them far from their homeland. Okay, so this is this is the Lord who's speaking. He's saying all of these things, and he's he's talking about this judgment that he's going to pronounce. We see he starts to list a few areas. Okay, these areas uh, it, it's the Philistines, it's the the region of uh, Philistia here. Um, this is kind of known for some of these things. We see that uh, even in the the previous um, kind of slide, we see this is just a continuation of that. All the way back at the middle of verse two. Um, he gives reasons. He says, I'm bringing about this judgment because of these things. And he lists these things. And he's continuing to list these things. And he actually tells them something that um, is kind of interesting because in verse 4, he says that he's going to return on their heads the things that they have done. So it, it's kind of, we have phrases um, that I'm a little hesitant to use because I don't want us to kind of confuse what they mean. But, you know, we kind of have ways of saying, well, they got what was coming to them or something like that. But, I mean, in the Bible, there is an element of that that is true in the sense of that is the type of judgment that God deals out right here. You know, he says that, well, he's going to return on their own heads the things that they have done. He says, look, you've enslaved my people. You've caused these problems. Well, guess what? These problems are going to be thrown right back on you. Now, we look at that and we think, well, that that's a little harsh, perhaps. And we might, you know, think that about it. Let's keep in mind who it is who's doing this. This is God. He's the creator. And uh, personally, what I feel the most comfortable with is the fact of he's the one who made this whole place. He's the one who's made you. He's the one who made me. I kind of feel like it only makes sense that he gets to make the rules. And if you don't follow the rules, there could be some consequences. And these are those consequences right here. He says, you didn't play by the rules. You, you didn't do what, what I've asked of the nations. He says, because of that, you're going to actually get a dose of your own medicine, so to speak. That's another one of those kind of phrases, I guess you might say. But all of these, when we're speaking about a human doing it to another human, that typically doesn't go so well. But this is God who is pronouncing this judgment. This is God who is, who is speaking 
uh, from this position. So it's a little different, and I think it's so important that we understand it from that perspective. Continuing on now. Verses 7 through 11. See, I am going to rouse them out of the places to which you sold them, and I will return on your own heads what you have done. There's that statement again about returning what they've already dished out. Verse 8. I will sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabians, a nation far away. The Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakling say, I am strong. Come quickly, all you nations from every side and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, Lord. So this passage, this, this judgment that he's talking about, he's talking about kind of giving them that dose of their own medicine. As I mentioned before, uh, they, they took the descendants of, uh, or the people, the children of Judah, they took those and they sold them. They were they were scattering them. So he said, look, that same thing is going to be done in reverse. It's going to be all these other nations that are sold and that are scattered around. And he says, this is going to be a time of war. He says, prepare for war. In fact, there's so many different phrases that he's saying, prepare for war. In verse 10, we see this going back uh, and forth a bit. We see, uh, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. See, several times we think about it as the opposite thing, about how swords uh, and spears are going to be turned into useful things, agricultural things. But right here we see the reverse of that. You know, we see it time and time again. It kind of depends on from what perspective you're coming at it. And this time, it's a time for, for war. It's a time of, of uh, uh, well, it's a time of this judgment that God is bringing. Now it is a time that these these peaceful instruments that were used to kind of further the land and and, and live throughout the land, uh, they need to be turned into swords. They need to be turned into spears. They need to be turned into weapons because war is coming. The Lord is the one who's bringing this upon these nations. He's giving them these warnings and he has proclaimed all of these things. And we see that this also continues on even after this. We still have a few more verses of this type of language. Verses 12 through 16. Then after this, we're going to get into kind of restoring things, renewing things. But let's see a little bit more about this day of the Lord language. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Swing the, sip, the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the winepress is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be darkened and the stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the heavens will tremble. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. He's still talking about the same thing, talking about this valley where the Lord is going to bring about judgment. He uses this language, both of harvesting, but then he also kind of talks about uh, this, this wrath and the wine press and things like that. These are all these images. Uh, you perhaps might know them from, uh, you know, the book of Revelation speaks about these, uh, having this cup of wrath. Well, that's also several times in the, the Old Testament, like in the prophet Joel. It's used to describe uh, God's wrath and kind of what he's doing, that he is, is bringing about this type of, of thing among the nations. He speaks of it as a harvest. He still is speaking it, uh, of it as this uh, valley where the Lord is going to judge, 
But he also calls it another phrase right here. He calls it this valley of decision. It's the place where a decision is going to be made. And he uses the term, connecting it here in verse 14, the day of the Lord. Once again, we've, we've kind of talked about that a couple of times, and it's the day of judgment. It's the day, this day, is when all these nations are going to be judged. It's going to be a big deal. It deals with heaven and earth type things. If you look at verse 15, the sun and the moon will be darkened. The stars no longer shine. It's not just like, you know, one little area that's going to be dealt with. It's not just, you know, your, your little country or my little country. It's things that are also reaching out into the heavens. All of creation is involved in this. That type of language is used to show that the Lord is reaching out far. He's going to be doing mighty things but we also see this these words of hope in verse 16 the lord is going to be a refuge for his people he's going to be a stronghold for the people of israel he still is those things even to us today uh, regardless of whether or not we're of the nation of israel when we are christians when we are the children of god he is still a refuge for his people he is still that stronghold that we can hold on to so Joel 3 verses 1 through 16 up to this point it's all been about this day of the Lord it's all been about this judgment that God is going to pronounce upon these nations that have acted wickedly but now the rest of it is a message of hope verses 17 through 21 then you will know that I the Lord your God dwell in Zion my holy hill Jerusalem will be holy never again will foreigners invade her in that day the mountains will drip new wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Achaia's. But Egypt will be desolate, Edom a desert waste, because of violence done to the people of Judah, in whose land they shed innocent blood. Judah will be inhabited forever and Jerusalem through all generations. Shall I leave their innocent blood unavenged? No. I will not. The Lord dwells in Zion. And with that, we see this language. We see this language of what God is going to do with his people, with his holy people. It's the Lord who he dwells in Zion. He dwells on this holy hill. He dwells in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem itself is going to be holy. This language that I, I love being described here in verse 18, this fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water. And it will water this land around. So this language is being described. It, it's described in, in several different ways. And I believe what we see here is it's kind of like going back to the original Garden of Eden. If you look at the original Garden of Eden, we see that there was uh, water that flowed out of that and kind of watered the area around it. Well, I believe that's what God is, is speaking about here. He's speaking about kind of returning to that time whenever he made things, this, this paradise here on earth, this, this wonderful uh, land of delight where water just flows freely from it he's describing that language again that this time it's going to be in jerusalem it's going to be this place that he's setting up as holy and it is going to produce water and it's going to produce all these great things that produce life and cause life throughout these other lands but then even in all of this good language he still describes in verse 19 that look egypt edom they mistreated the people of judah and because of that they're still going to be, uh, you know, having negative things. They're, they're not going to get these positive blessings that these who are part of the children of God are going to receive. And God makes a wonderful statement in verse 22, uh, sorry, 21, that we can learn about God's nature. 
And he, he asked the question, shall I leave their innocent blood unavenged? Is that the God that we serve? Do we serve a God that will leave innocent blood that was shed unavenged? No, he's not going to do that. The Lord, he dwells in Zion. The Lord has a plan. It's a plan that he's going to right the things that have been made wrong. And he's going to lift up his people and do great things among them. He is going to be a refuge for his people. He's going to be a stronghold for his people. He promises that in Joel, and we see that repeated time and time again throughout the New Testament. We can see within this, especially the ending of Joel, that it's a message of hope for us. It's a message of what the future can bring. And we are currently in, you know, starting to live in that future time, from Joel's perspective at least. And we are experiencing some of these blessings. And in the future, we will be able to experience more and more of these blessings as well. Uh, as many as the Lord, uh, our God, wills for that to happen. And with that, we come to the end of the book of Joel. Now, I know this video is pretty short, and I want to encourage you, once again, go to the Bible Project. Uh, I'll send a link again to their, uh, their video here. It'll give you an overview of the book of Joel. I know it seems like it's just been a few weeks ago that you watched it because, well, it was. Okay, we just, we looked at it just a couple of weeks ago. We were in chapter one of this book. This book is about the day of the Lord. We learn a lot about that day of the Lord. We learn a lot about the judgment that the Lord pronounces. And we can learn a lot about our God and what he expects of people, what he desires of his people. We also see that the day of the Lord is not always just about the other nations. It's about all this wrongdoing that happens because the day of the Lord was also pronounced upon the people of God as well. There's lessons to learn because our God, he is holy. He is just, but he is also merciful. He's also gracious to us. He's also that one who is our comfort. All of these things are wrapped up and found in the book of Joel. And we need to read it and learn it, uh, learn from it. And I know that I was kind of hoping that what we would see by this time was that uh, the cicadas are gonna, were, were going to be out and we would be able to hear them. I don't know about you, but I haven't experienced that yet. I haven't really heard these cicadas. I've just seen like a, a couple of shells. And, and I think those were even from a different species. But, but yet... Whenever that, do, that time does come, maybe you will, you will remember that Joel it talked about that locust plague. And maybe you'll, you'll read it again and be reminded of these lessons that we learned from Joel about the day of the Lord and the lessons that we learned about our God. I hope to uh, be able to be with you in person next uh, Wednesday night. And uh, we're going to be me meeting at the church building in person at 7 o'clock. Hopefully you can uh, join us there and uh, we will be uh, studying something different than the book of Joel. So come out and let's study God's word together.